Well, good morning. As I said before, my name is Mark and I'm the Assistant Minister here. Let's pray. Lord, help us uh, to turn to you uh, and to rest in you when times get tough. As we look at your word this day, may it bring us comfort and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are plenty of bumper sticker slogans that capture popular ideas about suffering. Uh, Life's tough and then you die. That's the G-rated version. Uh, No pain, no gain. It's meant to motivate people when they're in the gym, I think, um, or when they're going through challenging times. I wonder, do you have a slogan for dealing with pain and suffering? Maybe you say something like, this too will pass, or, or maybe you're a little bit more... Uh, What goes around comes around. See, these slogans and sayings reflect our beliefs and and realise it or not, there's a a theological or a philosophical uh, position built into them, even if we don't label them like that. And it's worthwhile for us to unpack some of those thoughts and beliefs in the light of God's word to see what God wants to say to us about the idea of suffering and we're doing a series on blessing. So what have blessing and suffering to do with each other? Well, as you would have heard, as Louise read from 1 Peter chapter 4, there's a lot of suffering happening. The words highlighted in yellow, if you've got good eyesight, include words like testing and a fiery ordeal. There's suffering multiple times, people being insulted in verse 14, people facing judgment, verse 17. And earlier in the letter, uh, Peter talks about trials, all kinds of trials, uh, in chapter 1. And then in chapter 3, he talks about uh, if you should suffer, do not fear their threats. And verse 16, people who are speaking maliciously against your good behaviour their slander. And so if we piece together a picture of what was happening uh, to the church that Peter wrote to, it's clear they're under attack. They're facing social exclusion. They're certainly facing people who are speaking ill of them and trying to shame them because of their Christian faith. And in our passage that we've read in chapter 4, the key one is verse 16, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Now, just to be clear, um, most of us in Melbourne in 2023 probably don't suffer for being a Christian quite in that way. We're not really experiencing Christian persecution in the sense of being locked up or being fired from a job or things like that. The kind of sufferings we normally think about are everyday things that everyone faces, sickness and uh, financial hardship and loss, um, whether of friends or loved ones, or problems in our relationships and uh, connections. So we shouldn't just lump all suffering together and simplistically say, verse 14, uh, you're blessed if you suffer. It's not that easy and there is suffering which just is suffering. So we're going to go a little bit more slowly. We're going to consider what suffering for faith looks like, but then think a bit more broadly about the lessons and the context of suffering in the world and in God's bigger picture. 
So uh, I want to think about suffering for faith and tell you about a woman that uh, Louise and I met uh, more than 20 years ago when we lived in southern China. So we lived in Yunnan province, which is in the southwest of China. And uh, the Chinese uh, nation and the Christian church in China has experienced persecution at various points. And one of the women I remember meeting during our time there was an elderly woman who'd been a young girl when some foreign missionaries first came to that part of uh, southwest China. And uh, she lived amongst uh, a group called the Li Su, who are tribes people, and they live in the mountainous areas near uh, the border of China and what was then Burma, now Myanmar. And uh, some of the stories of those early missionaries are told by one of them, Isabel Kuhn, who uh, ministered there for many decades. She traveled between mountain villages and uh, supported health and education and community programs. And Isabel Kuhn and uh, the woman we met, who was elderly by the time we met her, they had been active in that outreach to the community, supporting the community and always talking about Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when I met her, she was visiting a house church in Kunming, the capital city in Yunnan. And so this elderly woman was an inspiration, uh, but she had suffered for her faith. During her life, she'd been in prison more than once because of her beliefs and because of her outreach. But when she was released from prison, she didn't stop serving people, she didn't stop caring, she didn't stop talking about Jesus. She was one of these irrepressible types. And she's the kind of Christian that I think of when I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, and so the, the kind of things that it speaks about in those verses, uh, let me just bring up the text again. There we go. Um, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Um, she was tested, and it was, in a way, a fiery ordeal. And verse 14 uh, it shouldn't be surprising that people are insulted because of their faith. Uh, it's the story not just in China, but in many countries around the world throughout history, that Christianity has been seen as a threat to the local traditions or to local leaders and local authorities. And so believers are persecuted. Sometimes they might lose their jobs. Sometimes they're excluded socially. Uh, sometimes they're under surveillance. Maybe they get imprisoned. But verse 15 uh, is generally true. They're not suffering because of wrongdoing. They're doing good works. They're, they're teaching people. They're caring for the hungry and the sick. And verse 16, this elderly saint was not ashamed. Her sufferings were, in fact, a badge of honour. She had persevered through hardship and kept hold of her faith. And in a way, she clung to it more strongly because of the opposition it had provoked. And so verse 19, she committed herself to God and continued to do good. And the amazing story of uh, that ministry amongst uh, the Lisu tribes people of southwestern China is that at the start of the 20th century, so just a little over 100 years ago, there were no Lisu Christians. 
And then in the middle of the 20th century, by 1950, um, there were about 20,000 Lisu, and um, just over 10% of them had turned to Christ. So there were about 3,000 believers. And uh, when the woman we met grew up, that was the context, that Christians were a minority amongst her neighbours. But by the time I met her in 1998, three quarters of the Lisu people who now number in the sort of 80,000, 90,000 are followers of Christ. So even though there was suffering and persecution in that church context, by trying to stop the gospel, the authorities had sometimes caused it to grow stronger. And so you can talk about the blessing in that kind of suffering, that when Christians endure through that kind of opposition, that lays the foundation for God to grow his church. Non-believers see Christians suffering for doing good, and they ask, what motivates you to still smile and hope and keep on serving people while being falsely accused of doing wrong? And their answer is, Jesus is worth it. Jesus gives me more joy than can ever be stamped out of me by a term in prison or by the loss of my job or by health problems or other exclusions. And that kind of testimony has power because people realise they don't have that kind of conviction in their life and so they think, well, maybe I should find out more about Jesus. And maybe they tentatively pray and say something like, God, are you there? And maybe they read the Bible and God's spirit convicts them and they too believe in Jesus. Earlier in the letter in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, it says, live such good lives among the pagans, that is among the non-Christians, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So there's a blessing for those who suffer because of their faith. It's not a blessing of the suffering being taken away, but the blessing of being strengthened and having a more powerful witness in the midst of suffering. Back in chapter 4, it says, uh, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God is near to his people during times of suffering. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. I, uh, just as one example, I was thinking of uh, the book of Daniel. And uh, chapter 3 of that, there are three young men who'd been carted off from their homeland. They're in a foreign land and they're told, bow down to this gold idol that the king has set up. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, names that just roll off the tongue, uh, were not going to do that and so they were thrown into a furnace and they said God can rescue us and even if he doesn't we're still not going to bow down to a false god and God did protect them and then in chapter 6 it's Daniel in the lion's den which is a great Sunday school story and if you haven't done it maybe you need to sign up for Sunday school and we'll do it uh, uh, anyway we'll, we, we might do that later and this idea turns on its head one widespread view of suffering because a lot of people think that suffering is karma. Effectively, bad deeds come back on the people who do them eventually. What goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. But that's not Christian. So don't believe in karma. 
An example we find in the Gospels is in John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are walking around and they encounter a man who was born blind. And the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The logic is simple. Here is suffering, someone's to blame. Black and white, isn't it? It kind of makes me think this week about the robo-debt fiasco. Welfare recipients are suffering, wrongly accused of owing the government money, so what does the minister do? Release their personal details to the sympathetic media. His logic? The people are suffering, they must have done something wrong. They're dull bludgers. So let's make them suffer some more and shut them up. That was a pretty atrocious abuse of power. But that way of thinking is all too common. Just because there's suffering doesn't mean someone deserves it. And Jesus answers his disciples in John chapter 9, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus healed him. So out of suffering came the works of God and, and an incredible blessing. An incredible blessing for the man. But that's not the end of the story. He then experienced a new kind of suffering because the religious authorities of the day didn't like Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, and so they hauled him before their courts and tribunals and tried to discredit what Jesus had done. But we need to remember, Jesus doesn't come to point the finger at people who are suffering. He comes to offer them healing and hope. God's response to suffering is not to play the blame game. And if you think about the blame game as what's been happening since the Garden of Eden, when Eve said, oh, he made me do it, and, and, or Adam said, no, she made me do it. And, and if you think about one of the great books of the Bible that deals with suffering, the book of Job, Job has some friends, well, so-called friends, because they come to him and they try and convince them, you're suffering, you must have sinned. Repent of the sin. He said, I didn't sin. God doesn't play blame games. God draws near to those who suffer if they're open to him. Now, uh, for us, our suffering is generally not religious persecution, but it's things like loneliness and sickness and loss. And it's possible for God to use those sufferings in different ways. Quite often, he can use suffering to awaken in us a hunger for spiritual truth. And that was certainly the case for me as a 17-year-old. See, uh, as a teenager, um, I was facing a few things. Uh, my father had just been diagnosed with life-threatening cancer. Uh, my grandmother had recently died. And uh, my first serious romantic relationship had just uh, had a bad day like Ducky. Um, and in my emotional suffering, I realised I couldn't create my own happiness. I needed something bigger than myself to be an anchor in my life. And I called out to God at that point to make himself known to me. Because I didn't want to live in a world that was just random and cruel, where people get sick and die, where friendships end, where hopes don't always come true. And so in that circumstance, suffering awakened my thirst for something more, for something deeper. And in that way, suffering was a blessing. It moved me out of complacency 
and out of an assumption that I could be comfortable. Quite a well-known uh, saying from the writer C.S. Lewis, who penned the Narnia Chronicles and quite a number of Christian books, is pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that can happen. Now, we need to be careful because we've started to talk about how God can use suffering, but that's not the same thing as God causing suffering. God is good. God has made a good world. And God is all-powerful. And people put those things together and say, well, if God is good and all-powerful, why doesn't he use his good power to take away all suffering from my life? And in order to respond to that, it's useful not to necessarily do arguments about logic. It's good to tell a story. And the story is the story of the Bible. See, God did make everything, and he made it good. But part of goodness is freedom. And God gave the first humans the freedom, the good freedom to choose whether or not they'd go his way and live according to his uh, laws. And those first humans used their freedom to do what was not good. And so sin and suffering entered the world. And now we live in a fallen world where there are things like diseases and natural disasters and selfish people who act in ways that hurt others. And there are systems of inequality that, that hurt groups. Things like racism and colonialism and all sorts of isms often end up hurting the vulnerable. And in the Bible, we find out that God's answer isn't to wipe everything out. The flood was kind of like that, but there was grace in Noah. See, if God wipes everything out, then we'd all be in trouble because there's bits of sin in all of us. God's answer to suffering is Jesus. God doesn't condemn humanity. God himself becomes human. God joins us in the struggle between blessing and suffering. And God himself experiences the poverty and the exclusion and the misunderstanding and the grief that all of us come across sooner or later in life. And so Jesus is the man of sorrows. And in his shared experience of suffering with us comes an unexpected and undeserved blessing. Because Jesus didn't have any sin of his own. He wasn't part of this fallen world uh, with its sinful ways and rebellion. His suffering then became redemptive. So in... 1 Peter, in the earlier chapter of chapter 2, we're told that we're called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, by his suffering, you have been healed. To put it another way, Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Jesus entered the world of suffering and sin so that we could enter the world of restoration and peace with God. Jesus suffered so that you and I don't have to suffer eternally. And so Peter says to Christians who are suffering, your suffering enables you to draw nearer to and appreciate and participate in Christ's suffering. So in verses uh, 12 and 13, when you suffer, don't be surprised, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So we, as Christians, are on a new track and we're on a new timeline. Suffering connects us with Christ and Christ suffered. Yes, but then he was raised from death in vindication of his God-honoring, God-centered life. And so now Jesus is reigning in glory. And so for us too, our future is not one of suffering, but one of shared glory with Jesus. And our story is Jesus' story. Because the ending is known, where the tears are wiped away, where the diseases are healed, where relationships are restored, God is honoured and the world is set to right in that storyline that we're now on. And so those blessings that Jesus is now uh, enjoying are awaiting us as well. And so Peter talks about any suffering as being just for a little while. They're just in this phase of history. So that's a, that's a big picture sort of uh, Bible overview of suffering. And that leaves us with an interesting choice because um, we're surrounded by uh, the Australian lifestyle dream, which is comfortable living, good eating, fabulous holidays and material success. And if you think about the Australian dream, it's an attempt to block out suffering, you know? Those who came to Australia before us did it tough, so we'll work hard so that we can do it easier, so we can have the comfortable life. And if you have that Australian dream all around you, the question is, well, do you want to walk that way, pursuing comfort and luxury, or do you want to walk the path that Jesus trod? Because Jesus went to where the people were hurting. Jesus went to places where injustice was growing. Jesus went to where people didn't know what blessing was because they'd had so much suffering in their life. So when you know someone who's suffering, do you draw near to them or do you turn away from them? Do you want to live in a world where lifestyle and comfort and pleasure is the goal which matters most and everyone strives towards it? Or do you want to live in a world where a helping hand reaches out to those in need? See, the thing about making the Australian dream so powerful is that when you set that up as the goal, uh, people feel threatened by people who aren't chasing it or aren't experiencing it. And people who are set on success and power and safety and security don't want to hang out with sick people 
or difficult people or people who've lost their jobs or whose relationships have encountered troubles and, and broken down because that kind of suffering is a reminder that actually the thing they're building their life on might actually not be so secure. It might be quite fragile after all and could disappear in just an instant. But what do we find if we walk towards people in pain, if we walk towards people who are suffering? Well, what we discover is that being with them is its own unique kind of blessing. Jesus' uh, words in the Sermon on the Mount were that blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. See, the kingdom of God is found in uh, sharing burdens, not in running away from them. The blessings of God are experienced when we weep with those who weep as well as laughing with those who laugh. Life is for living fully in community. And that's, that's a big part of what St. Luke's is here to do. That's a big part of our mission, to be people of blessing to those who are going through suffering. Now, if you're suffering today, I don't want to minimise what you're experiencing I want to encourage you that Jesus has come to meet you in this moment, in the pain that you're experiencing. Jesus carried your pain and he invites you to receive his life. And that is a great exchange. And I pray you don't turn it down. And for the members of St. Luke's more generally, we have this opportunity to bring blessing to those who are enduring suffering for whatever reason. And it's part of our, our witness as Christians that we're not chasing success. We care more for people who are vulnerable and who are suffering than we do for the idols of the age. And so we want to walk like Jesus walked to those tough places because that's where suffering and blessing meet and where blessing then flourishes. Let's pray. Lord, we know this world is suffering and you've placed us here with opportunities to reach out, to draw near to you, to draw on your strength, to learn from Jesus and to bring Jesus to people who are in pain. So help us to be strong and courageous to know that the Lord of the ages holds us and holds them in his hands. Amen.